You're listening to the Irish Times. It's the time of the year when everybody thinks that everybody else has given them no chance at all. Isn't that right, Gavin? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everywhere we go, every GA ground we've been to over the weekend, there was lazy journalism or... The pundit said Joe Canning had an awful pot, didn't he, then, in terms? <laughs> he did an awful go. It's the Out of Time podcast on a Monday morning. Gavin Comiskey is here with me. Uh, Sean Moran will be in in a little while. We're going to talk some GEA. We're going to talk to Ian Reardon over in Berlin at the Athletics. And Johnny Watterson's going to be around to talk about the hockey. But you're right, Gavin. Uh, I was beside Joe when he was given out in the tunnel on uh, on Sunday about, you know... They didn't. They, our character was questioned after last week, and I was going. I can't. I mean, I'm pretty in tune with uh, a lot of the media that goes along. I think I read most of it. I listen to an awful lot of it. I don't remember anybody questioning their character. It's great to see the old, the old tactic of bang, bang something, some little paragraph you find on a yeah. wall in a dressing room. Still works with these modern twenty uh, somethings. The because uh, you got over in Salt Hill as well. Yeah, the Monaghan boys who are great talkers, right, and always have been, and they came in after putting up a real great performance, and it was Carl O'Connell. Fintan Kelly had a little pop at a reporter. Darren Hughes, who had a bit of joke in his eyes. Well, hang on. Let's let's just stick on Fintan Kelly for one second because Fintan Kelly was scratching an itch there that a lot of Monaghan people have to scratch. Isn't the that one right? man team. Uh, no, well, he, well, it wasn't his problem. Was that somebody called Conor McManus, Kieran McManus? They did, and it was a simple. It was an easy mistake <laughs> by a reporter. But uh, he, um, yeah, the look in his you eye. Have, you people have no idea how this is pissing off people in Monaghan. Call, right. Calling our greatest ever footballer by the wrong name. It was pretty funny because Vinton Kelly was in pretty good form, and then he just stopped, like black eyes at the reporter. And I actually, I remember looking at it going, "Okay, this mightn't go well." So we moved on. Then we, had Darren Hughes was leaning up against the wall, and he just went through the lazy journalism he's been reading. So like, at least he didn't even pretend that he actually has been reading it. And he was like, "I see, yeah. Darren's a farmer. Darren's sitting at home at his yeah. at his lunch." Now his eyes were, and there was a bit of laughter in his eyes. But he was, he kind of just pulled us in. And he goes, "Are we a one man team?" Or <laughs> Look at our seven scores today. Do you think we're nothing without uh, this man and all that? And he, he had a point. If it wasn't Ryan McInesby, had someone had to step up. We said yes. before the game, who's going to step up and score the three, four points? And Ryan McInesby did it because mm. McManus was well held inside yeah. for a while. And uh, without McManus, he can't win in All Ireland. No, so nobody can. Yeah, it's great. I, uh, I love this. Uh, I love when we get to nobody believed in us except ourselves. Well, it's in full flow at the moment. <laughs> Sean Moran is here. Sean, we were in, in Thurlis on, on Sunday. Um, it was an interesting, an interesting game, not, not quite as, as whiz-bang as, as the previous Saturday. Uh, no, not, not to any extent, really. Yeah. I mean, just look at the... There was so much... Um, Focus uh, has been recent times on the steepling scores in, mm. in hurling and how how easy it is now. Yeah, it's to, too easy. Right, it's sport. too easy. Yeah, yeah. Not a serious sport. That's right. I remember yeah. uh, uh, Shane McGrath, the male, saying, you know, after the uh, after one of the last weekend semi-finals, you know, it's too easy to score in this game. No wonder it's never caught on anywhere else. <laughs> uh, but on Saturday on Sunday there was a bit of a, an adjustment there, mm. and uh, you know it, it, it's interesting with Galway because you would have said like last year after the the epic semi final win over Tipperary, um, which they scored twenty two points, and you'd never have said in advance that that twenty two points would be enough to mm. win another in semi final. Similarly, you know, on, on Sunday one seventeen with that win, the the, the semi final replay, you wouldn't have thought so. But uh, it was it it was interesting because it it showed in a way the. 
I think just the attrition on on Galway at this stage, keeping going and the keeping attrition going. on everyone. Uh, I think and yeah, but I think particularly on on them because we we, we think of them winning an All Ireland for the first time in, in twenty nine years, and there's a lot of. Uh, I suppose that that follows in the wake of an mm, achievement mm. like that, and then you're knuckling down and going again. Um, Kilkenny, of course, made serial All Ireland winning seem seem normal, but it's yeah. not actually that normal yeah. historically. So, uh, uh, another interesting thing about Goy at the moment is that in the past, and this possibly even goes back to their reemergence in the 1970s, they tend to be a team that that really uh, went in splurges. Goals and you know mm. those big semi-final wins in in the eighties as as well, where they just put lots of they they, they really went to the opposition, put up big leads, tended to to, to lose them. Um, but goals are always the kind of the main currency. Um, they're still kind of losing big leads, but they, they 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 don't score as many goals. It's not kind of hammer blow stuff. But more interestingly. They they're now very hard to to shake yes. off off narrow leads, and mm. they they've held narrow uh, advantages down the straight. Like in the last two mm-hmm. two matches, they didn't quite hold it. Obviously, in the drawn encounter, but on Sunday, uh, just thinking about it as it was un, un, unfolding, mm. and and Clare had come right back on on their shoulder. You you didn't quite feel it had reached crisis point for goal. No. They never seemed to allow Absolutely. it to get into that red zone where suddenly you know that they're 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 now under real pressure. And that's the thing between that game, uh, the drawn game, even the two iterations of the Leinster final. At any stage, they looked they looked like if they needed a score, they would get a score. Did it you look know, like losing? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that, that that it's a real testament to them. I I actually. Uh, writing it up on on Sunday afternoon, uh, I went and had, had a look. So the final will be their ninth game of the summer. Mm. Uh, for their three All Irelands in the eighties, they played a total of eight games. Yeah, I saw that. And like yeah. one, of, I think one of them was against Kildare one of the years. Like it's it's a it's a completely different world when you when you think about it uh, now. And it's just it, I it, it just made me think of the. The sort of randomness of the, of the immortality we give to people, you know, the, those Galway teams of the eighties. You know, you talk about your the, the cult figures, the Sylvia Nans, the, the Joe Cooney's, Joe Rabbit, all this sort of stuff. These guys who are legends in Galway forever, and essentially it was on the back of eight games. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, the the, the, the the format in those days suited a very good settled team. Yeah. I mean, they they were, you know, like. Pole vaulters, you know, they didn't come in until the yeah, season had got to August. The, exactly, yeah, uh, until and the bar got really high. They'd be yeah. playing a, a provincial champion then, generally on the, you know, on the August weekend, and uh, they would have only have had the league um, for a while. There was a there was a, a conic championship, but it wouldn't have been of a of a standard, obviously, with the other provinces. Uh, and so it was kind of all or nothing. You mm. went in, and either what they had was enough, or or, or it wasn't. Uh, whereas, uh, I think, in fairness to them, they. They agitated over the years to be kind of drawn into mm. more normal forms of, of, of competition and eventually ending up in Leinster in, in 2009 and getting to the same starting line as other teams. Uh, you can probably see the, the, the advantage of, of that now because you get you get to play more matches in championship mm. and it's not just a matter of, uh, of you, you know, arriving at a, at a stage when, when, when some teams have, uh, you know, won provincial championships. So uh, it, it, it it is interesting, but it's a bit like the Kerry footballers, you know. Indeed, I mean, they, yeah. they would carry one in All-Ireland in 79 with three matches yeah. uh, because they got a bite at the Munster final. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're a bit out already, but well, let's catch up. Could the call-iron final come quick? enough but like 
what do you think now that Limerick and Galway are going head to head? Size wise, there's no pro- there's, they, they cancel each other out almost, would they? Yeah, it's a, it's interesting from this point of view, and I posed the question myself on on Monday. The is there a time, certainly not in recent years, where you've had an All Ireland final between two teams who didn't play in the top division during the league? Um, you know, in the past few years, we've seen the kind of the the slow march of Division One B sides from being, you know, allegedly it was going to be a death sentence to a championship team to be in Division One B mm. and not to have top class hurling during the spring. And then bit by bit, you had Cork, you had Dublin winning provincial mm-hmm. titles, Waterford winning a league mm-hmm. title, Clare doing the same, Galway winning All Ireland, and now you've got both the the finalists. The uh, system is perfect. So uh, <laughs> it, it, I know that makes one be uh, eminently desirable. Galway certainly seems to think so anyway, because they're, they're they're heading for their third year in it um, next next season. But I think they are well matched. I think the problem for Galway is just that I suppose fatigue at this stage. They've played an awful lot of big matches. They've been drawn into you know probably in retrospect needless replays and you know the expenditure of energy involved in that um, the, we'll talk more about the, the final next week obviously um, we, we'll go on to football here Gavin you were in Salt Hill as we said um, what did you make of it like it, watching on TV it seemed one team came and played a very professional game mm. knew exactly what they were about and the other team Seem confused. Seem what? 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 what well, happened to Galway? Beforehand, Gala? I was talking to a couple of lads in the press box. Press box, which is really bad views. It does oppose. You can't. It's probably the worst. We were <laughs> laughing about how did they expect to get the Rugby World Cup with these kind of press boxes. <laughs> but anyway, the, we were watching about how Kerry will, in a two hours' time, Kerry will have found a way back, and Eamon Fitzmaurice mm-hmm. will still be alive mm-hmm. and all that. And then ten, fifteen minutes into the game, it was, tw- it was there was a score on twenty-two minutes where we went, Ah, Galway are not here. Mm. They just they didn't show up. Like Shane Walsh was fluffing freeze. Um, he actually took a heavy knock, which could really matter this weekend. And the complete opposite, Monaghan were there. All of them were there. They were right on it. They were like that first 68 minutes in Clonus. Mm. Everything about them. And it was, it was a huge tribute to them. And there was a brilliant scene afterwards when we were all in doing interviews with the Monaghan players. And we heard this ripple of applause and a massive roar because McManus had finished signing his 3,000 autographs and was yeah. coming off the pitch and there was 3,000 Monaghan people, yeah. including Frank McNally, out in the pitch watching the sun go down yeah. and just just having a good time in August on I, the summer I holidays. Say, like, it was pretty I, cool. I know like, some, some friends of mine have been following them around all summer. Like It has been the best summer of their lives. Like Even uh, like for a start, beating Tyrone and then after that, fair enough, losing to Fermanagh. But their trips this summer have been Leitrim, fantastic. Down to Dungarvan in the middle of a heatwave, down to Carrick and Shannon in the middle of a heatwave, then the Super 8s, all this sort of stuff. And they're loving it. They're absolutely loving it. Yeah. And, and the whole con- the whole county is going to Croke Park on Sunday. Yeah, and they were all saying that as well. I think it was Drew, or, Drew Wiley, or excuse me, Ryan McInesme was saying, see, the thing is, we know everyone in the county. You've yes. got a friend of a friend. or yeah. And even you look at people's faces in the crowd and they're familiar faces to you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool story. And as a group of lads, they're very impressive. They're so and as we were saying beforehand, they leave, they leave marks on you. you they really I mean? do, yeah, yeah. You can yeah. feel it. Like the Galway lads, the fact that they weren't at the intensity of Monaghan, never mind footballing, just at the intensity, yeah. they really paid for What do you think, it. Sean? Like, looking ahead, Galway... This idea that, that they can sort of flick a switch again to, to play Dublin on Sunday, I'm not sure about it. Like, like is it that they, they lowered their intensity even subconsciously or is it that the, maybe they're just not up to the mark? I don't know. I felt like, sorry, sorry Sean, I, I just felt like they didn't, um, they, it felt like a conscious thing. You know what I mean? I'm not saying they threw the game or yeah. nothing like that, but it just felt like you're in Pierce Stadium, it's a championship match 
And if you can't, and they just went, no, we're not going full throttle here. Like it was, it was just, it was very obvious, very quickly. Yeah, you're, if, you're, if you're flicking switches, you're as well off getting out of a wet bath to, to do it <laughs> uh, as giving a performance like that because you're going to play Dublin in, Cro- in Croke Park. Um, I. I would feel it's 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 an issue for for, for Galway to have, have performed like that uh, a week before you know their biggest match of the season, um, and I, you know an intercounty manager privately said to me during the week we'll we'll know a good bit about Galway from 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 this match because you know remember this is a Galway team that um, trailed Roscommon at half time mm-hmm. and possibly should have been beaten mm-hmm. by them and uh, you're looking with at a tr- very similar performance like I, I know there was a lot of people kind of mystified by Galway on, on Saturday night but I, I was at that Connacht final that Galway played Roscommon and the first half of that game was very similar to their performance the other night very static very structured very staying you know very kind of reticent almost to, to get involved in the game and uh, it was only when they when they came out in the second half that they changed that. But uh, I don't know, maybe there, maybe that's in that Galway team. And God Almighty, that'll not get it done against Dublin. Well, you know, as, as, as well as as that, they they got a great lift out of their season in Division One. They're unbeaten regulation matches. Uh, people prophesied doom when they were going in to play Dublin in a league final mm-hmm. because of Dublin's habit of, of 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 knocking teams back at that stage didn't happen. They were competitive, uh, and they went into the championship in 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 good form. It's been an issue for Galway in recent years that they have done well in the early part of the championship and then arrived at the, the, the business end in, in in Croke Park and done and done poorly. Uh, we assumed they were over that, um, and particularly with because they beat Kerry and they beat they beat Kerry, but the Kerry form line is yeah. nothing great. At, yeah. uh, at this what stage, the other thing as well, and to be fair to Monaghan, Monaghan are a side that has been tipping away at the top level for a few years now, uh, and Galway aren't mm. really. And you know that that Monaghan also, you know, have mastered that defensive system yeah. and all the things that are necessary to to go with it, and have been doing so for far longer than than Galway. So the fact they beat Galway didn't surprise me really in no, the, no, the circumstances because the balance of motivation was, was so yeah. skewed but the Galway would play as badly yeah. that surprised me um, If we look forward to, to Monaghan Tyrone then the, the, I think you're right like Monaghan have been at, at that level for a while certainly in, in the league and, and you know intermittently in the in the championship the, the worry that uh, you would have for them is that you're exactly like the, the flip side of knowing what you're about is that everybody else knows what you're about. And they are, like, I I watched them on, on Saturday night, my jaw agape at how Galway were allowing themselves to be, you know, be broken down by a team that wasn't doing anything different to what it does every other week. It's good that they hustled them and, like, brought oh, them yeah, on down this little dark alleyway here and we'll take the ball yeah, off there, you. Yeah, there is that. But, I mean, from an attacking point yeah. of view, Monaghan attack in the same way. Like, they give give it with, they come in on angles, they try and find McManus. If they can't find McManus, they find a runner coming. And uh, Which their worry, Carl O'Connell. Yeah. yeah, or Mac and Espy. Their worry now against Tyrone is that... Tyrone, Tyrone know exactly that. Yeah, they, they, they are, they are a, predic- a predictable team to play against. But Maliki, like no team has secrets that's not learned in the semi-final yeah, stage. You know, true, I know it's, it's true that 
Monaghan have been doing this Maybe for, for a while. Young lads, Bernard, Bernard Brogan <laughs> and Paul Flynn could be the Dublin secrets. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, that was interesting also at the uh, at the weekend, Dublin being able to make 10 or 11 changes to a, to a team. But in terms of Monaghan, I, I think the big problem for Monaghan, I would feel, is more... My mental or psychological, I, I think it's it's deeply unfortunate that having won a couple of Ulsters, really big achievement in, in Monaghan, um, you know, historically and that, mm. that they arrive in Croke Park and they have to play Tyrone, you know, they're, 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 they're neighbours and, you know, an Ulster team and all, all the dynamics of, of those Darren kind of cross. called it, you have to, we have to win an Ulster final to get to an all Yeah, exactly. Mm. So their brains, psychologically, they are kind of tuned into it, they're because we were laughing and joking, going, you get to an All Ireland final finally, and look who's standing in your way. Yeah. You know, it's like the you know, like teams like Clare and Limerick who made you know big breakthroughs into All Ireland football quarterfinals in recent years, only to find Kerry Kerry waiting waiting on them. them. Yeah, you know, and I, I think it's, that's possibly unfortunate from Monaghan's point of view, but there was something really impressive about the way it went about business on on Saturday, and I think you know, I mean, Jim McGuinness in the paper today makes mm. the point about the. Uh, you know, Tyrone obviously have positives, and you could see them in Bally Buffet on Sunday. But they they don't have a marquee forward. They don't have a marquee free taker. That's what it comes down to sometimes, especially in these games. Like there will be nothing in this game. Could Lee Brennan come in, be turn into that in the next two games, possibly? Well, the, I suppose the problem for Lee Brennan is coming back from still coming back from injury. Mm. Um, yeah, he looked good, and uh, I think he's been their best free taking option. But when you look at the range of what Monaghan have between McManus and I was conscious watching um, the match in Salt Hill. You know when. And Galway giving away these silly frees, but how 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 much money in the bank it was when you see McManus standing yeah. over it, you know, and he's just going to put this over 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 the bar. And then you know we saw the previous uh, fortnight in Clonus, anything you know a bit farther out, and Rory Began comes up, and you know he'll put. Yeah, you he, talked to him last over. week, Malky, didn't you? Rory, yeah, yeah. 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 He's a he's it's he's a cool it's, it's a great yeah. it's just a great story of the yeah. summer what he does and you see him it's like Cluxon used to do it as soon as there's a free anywhere he just starts to jog up in mm. case McManus flings him the ball back but yeah because you talk to him afterwards on Sunday yeah, and 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 he says he's always halfway up in case mm. he <laughs> in starts case. to run just yeah. in case you know but and as he starts to run them all the Monaghan people start going here comes Rory as yeah, well yeah, so the whole thing yeah. builds you know yeah listen we'll see see how it pans out uh, Saturday and Sunday it's going to be a mega weekend up there I think Tyrone All Ireland final is it. Shut up. All right. All right. Don't be too uh, don't be too overwhelming. Uh listen, thanks a million for coming in, Sean, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again as we go yeah, on. No problem. Cheers. In response to what you've done and others, but in particular because of the timing of what you've done, I want to say that I've decided that we will give an extra one point five million for for Olympic and world champion preparation. And hockey will enjoy a significant share of that particular. That is Shane Ross. And off air, we've just had a discussion on what we can actually call this guy uh, on the back of that. I had heard about this yesterday, that clip of uh, him announcing uh, this extra money and then not announcing it straight away. Uh, I hadn't seen it. Johnny Watterson is in here. That's appalling, Johnny. Yeah, Malky, I watched it over and over last night <laughs> and I could see the girls putting their hands to their mouths yeah. thinking and believing they had just been given one and a half million by, by the Minister for Sport. I think it was Chloe Hugging Watkins. Hugging each other Cartman. in tears. Some of them were in tears. And then, as as he continues to speak, a portion of one and a half million <laughs> doesn't even quantify how much they're getting. 
Oh, my God. And I don't think, you know, these girls aren't used to this. These girls in in public eye are innocent. It's yeah. a, and that was part of what was attractive in this World Cup. It was the freshness and the callow personality of that hockey team. And to exploit that nature That's it. is, I, I, I think it's it's beyond belief. And it's complete opportunism. It's bandwagonry of, of the highest order. And pure, unadulterated cynicism around the one thing that we have on earth that that has, on a certain level, a lack of cynicism. Uh, a team, a team of underdogs coming from nowhere, providing a bandwagon for everybody to jump on. You know, let nobody's pretending that they were hockey fans a fortnight ago. You don't have to be a hockey fan to be beguiled by a team of amateurs going to play and getting to a World Cup final. A good news story. Everybody's happy for them. He likes and the good news stories, though. We know what he's about. He rolled into this. the Shelburne Hotel after the Ireland won the Grand Slam and tweeted, got his picture taken with Rob Carney and Johnny Sexton. Oh, tweeted right. tweeted the two best rugby players, Dave Carney and Johnny Sexton. But whatever. So we know what, he's, yeah. we know what he is but, like. Okay, you know what I mean? I, I, Opportunism to, is no, correct. To, to a certain extent, I go, whatever, on that scale. You know, that's that's just a politician, you know, trying to get down with the boys. Hasn't a notion what he's talking about fine I, I mean I, I almost I almost kind of uh, applaud the enthusiasm there but this 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 absolutely playing on their emotions using their emotions for his platform it's disgraceful I've, it's, I've seen some stunts it's but that, that, that was like a scene from the thick of it it's the only time they have ever had a public platform yeah. they have never been on a public platform before they have never had the attention before. before yeah and that was part of their, their charm. That was part of why people got behind them, who, as you say, never played hockey before, didn't know about hockey before. As Sean Moran, the Irish Times GAA correspondent, just told a joke before he came out about his friend who'd always wanted to go to a World mm. Cup final ever since he'd been a fan since last Thursday of the Irish <laughs> hockey team. So, you know, they understand this is just a movement at the moment that's captured the imagination. Yeah. And that's what was exploited, their sweetness, their innocence, the as I say, the callow nature and the personality of that hockey team, and he just stood all over it by doing that. No, and I know, we, yeah, I know we, you have celebrated and we want to celebrate, but you wrote a piece about funding in the paper today, but this is the time now. This is the time for the drum to be beaten for, for Irish hockey to of, get what of they course. deserve. Of it's, course. It's their opportunity. And, and to follow on from what, what happened last night, we don't know what he gave hockey. Yeah. A portion of one and a half million. He what know? he announced was nothing. He didn't announce anything. He announced that they were getting a piece of one and a half million. Why did he even specify one and a half million? Why didn't he just say, I will ensure they get more funding? Where is the funding going to come from? He has yeah, to go to the Minister for Finance to get the money. So is, is that extra funding going to come from other sports to go into hockey? Or has he had, maybe he had the conversation with the Minister for Finance who said, go ahead, but... Vincent O'Toole actually has a great column in the in the paper this morning, and it's a, a, away from this, but it's about Shane Ross and the return of Bertieism. It's actually nothing to do with the hockey, but it's to do with his his uh, grant for grannies uh, wheeze that he came up with last week. You know, a, a grand worth of a grant for for grandparents to take care of children. Yes. And he and and the point he makes, and it's completely relevant here, is that. Uh, as a politician, you can do one of two things when you have money. You can just fire it at the people who vote or you can spend it on the broader commune of actual services and uh, ideas that, that run a country. And this is just pure Bertieism. It's just pure taking something that people are happy about and just 
deciding out of nowhere to fire a, a, a wadge of money uh, just because that's what will make the headline the next day. I mean, we, we, we have a bloody responsibility to make sure that the headline here is that this gets called out on this horrendous bullshit. Yeah, Mikey, the Irish women's rugby team got to a World Cup semi-final Same in 2014 yeah. and they beat the Black Ferns, which are the world champions. And, it, and I was there in Marcuses. It's still one of the most privileged things I've got to attend as a sports journalist. It was a phenomenal achievement done. Uh, on a sho- they, they were looked after, somewhat shoestring, where they had to fight to make sure that they weren't switched onto sevens yes. teams and all because that was the new IRFU policy on the David Nusifora, which is fine. And three years later... There was so many little bits and pieces that weren't put together properly for them to actually build on being a World Cup semi-finalist and being contenders. And now they're slipping from being that team that was top four competitive team in the world. They're slipping further and further and further away at 15 aside now. This because was, uh, the, funny, the building Gavin, this was what I was, they this, didn't qualify from their yeah, pool in the last This is what I was going to ask you, Gavin, and we'll, we'll move on from this. Uh, but the the... The women's rugby team is a great parallel here because exactly like yeah. that, it was... It's this idea of the the love or enthusiasm for these teams being a mile wide and an inch deep. You know, as you say, you were at that World Cup. They came back and were hailed as heroes because they they beat New Zealand. And yet, you know very well that they actually came back pissed off because they made a balls of it after that. They lost to France and lost to England and, and didn't go any further. They didn't build on that. Yeah, they were, and yet they were lauded as, as these heroes. Cause they're they still annoyed about losing. And I, I, I actually just understand their mindset, but they're still annoyed about losing that semi-final comprehensive to England. Now, England were the best team in the world yeah. and did beat them and it was the right result and it was the right yeah. thing that happened in that game. They just ran out of road against a fully professional, fully stocked team. Um, but that was the thing. It was professionals against amateurs and instead of building upon it, uh, it's still now more than ever, and it's such a shame. Like the Australian rugby team turned around and invited them to come on a three-test tour underneath them as the undercard to the men's games in the same stadiums and everything. And they said, "No, we're going in a, we're going in a different direction yeah. in November. So we're not going to, we're not going to do that." And, and it was just a I'm, crushing the, blow to them making the, progress. But it's an example, Joey, hockey, of what can or Johnny well, of what can happen. The now. reality of, of women's sport is that the, the, the Irish women's rugby team and the Irish women's hockey team or whatever they have to do it at world level, or they get yeah. no recognition. Yeah. It's okay for the men's team to fail, actually, because yeah. you'll go back to Leinster next month, European Championship, etc. It, it just keeps turning over. It doesn't for the women. Mm. The, the women's rugby team didn't get out of the pool in the World Cup. And you can, you can see the, the interest just nosediving Absolutely. because they're not keeping up there with the top teams in the world. Yeah. Exact same thing will happen with the, the hockey women unless they sustain it. Unless they go to the European Championships, which are on next summer in Antwerp. Unless they go there and medal. Then they're falling backwards already. Okay, so yeah. what happens? To and happen, they've never Jenny, meddled before. Jenny, what happens to happen? Because I, 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 got to give some kind of a credit to the RFU. They did put the women's amateur 15-a-side squad into the high-performance unit, but they, they, their policy is clearly directed towards sevens, and that, that's and there's been some fruit come from that, obviously. But w- what needs to happen for them to maintain this? Like they're not going to maintain World Cup final status. They're not going to become the second best team in the world. But what needs to happen so they, the plateau that they've reached that they, they stay up there? Ideally, they need to be on the carding scheme each hockey player needs to get money directly as all the other athletes is there money for that though will that happen well there's a pot of money it's how it's divided out and they've decided that team sports players are not on the cardinals team now if they were individual athletes and had won a silver medal at world level Mm -hmm. they would be getting 40 grand a year from the irish state each all the other athletes get it Mm -hmm. but the hockey players get nothing what they do is put the funnel the money into the sport so that they can afford to support the team but it falls back to the individual players to take their two or three months a year off work Mm -hmm. they can't do that so most of them 
or in university or doing a master's or doing a PhD or they have very understanding employers. Mm. Uh, actually, they don't have no, – no one can give you three months off a year for 10 years no. to enjoy a hockey career. No, well, they're, um, I mean, they're, essentially, yeah. they're, they're in the same – reasonably same boat as the GA players. So you they know, need to work for the sponsors yeah. of hockey, the new yeah. sponsors that are going to come in there and get on this bandwagon if there is any. Maybe so. It's hard to know. Well, right? sponsors can't provide the sort of money they need. No. Uh, it's the state has to do it. You're talking even if there's if, the will, and this <coughs> is the thing. And, and look, there's the, as a, maybe a more philosophical uh, argument. Like you know, we everybody's high on the on the hockey team now. Is there a will within the country to to fund an, an Irish hockey team? Like, is there that big? Like, is there that big a constituency that that would stand behind that? It's yeah, only if I suspect there isn't. To be, if to, to be brutally honest about yeah, it, be pragmatic about yeah. it. If they're successful, there is. I mean, and also, you know, I think over the last number of years you've seen women do better you've Phil Healy at the Athletics mm-hmm. doing well you've Van Lee Murphy's just gone around the world you'd the, the record numbers at the women's football final in Croke Park mm-hmm. you've the Irish hockey team in a, in a World Cup final so you know I think talking to the girls they believe they're part of a, a sort of a bigger movement than just hockey going forward I think they like to be seen as being part of a women's sport that is actually doing something getting somewhere and that's what they want to sustain and encourage you know yeah. <clears throat> well, look, it was fantastic. It was a brilliant, like a, a completely unexpected joy of the summer um, uh, for us to take away. Like, you know, nobody was expecting this, like, least of all you. I mean, like you're you're around hockey. You've been around hockey. You saw them go into the World Cup. You weren't expecting anything like this. Oh, what a joy. They weren't expecting it. And what they don't, I mean, Gavin's right. Everyone, when they're talking about women's rugby now, they say, that, oh, yeah, the Fiona Coughlin team, that team. Yeah. That was quite some time ago yeah, now. Yeah. They, they don't want to be talking about Fiona. Fiona, brilliant, Fiona. Yeah. But we're here now, and they're still talking about Fiona Cochran team. What the hockey players don't want is in 10 years' time to be talking four about years that. Time. Four, four years' years, time. Four years, four years, 10 years. Yeah. Next Olympic cycle, even. Yeah. The team of 2018. What, what, How better can they get, by the way? Okay, they lost in a World Cup final 6-0 to a great Dutch team. Oh, they can get much better. Really? They, well, yeah. What's the talent like underage and everything like Dutch that? and see how they play. And there's a... There's a quantum improvement that they can make, but you can't do it if you don't see each other all the time. If, if you can't do it as part-time if, players, no, nah, nah. The Dutch, you know, they go for a snooze in the afternoon. Yeah, that one thing alone, yeah. you know, because they've been that training. Would improve our journalism. <coughs> what was your favourite part that of the world? Yeah. Yeah. What, what was yeah, your yeah, favourite? Yeah. If, if, if we were, if we were real pros, that's <laughs> what I'm going to have. I'm going to have a nap later on. What was your, um, what was your favourite part of the tournament? What, what, what will stay with you, like? The shootout in the semi-final uh, because it was it, it got them to the final. Uh, the, the goalkeeper Aisha McFerrin is her name from Larn. Um, she's at university in in America. Uh, she's just a uh, your naughty character, lovely, open, bright like kid yourself who <laughs> <laughs> who saved four four out of five. I think it was yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and against one of the best teams in the world, crushed them. I mean, I felt sorry for the Spanish afterwards. They couldn't get off the ground. And they got a bronze um, medal, didn't they? They got, they got the bronze medal. At the end of the day, when they were all getting their medals, the, the Spaniards were happier than the Irish girls. The Irish girls got a silver medal, but they'd just been hammered yeah, by the Dutch. 10 minutes after the And the Spaniards it, had yeah. won the bronze yeah, medal yeah, match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were on a high, and the Irish girls didn't really know what to think, I think. Didn't really know how to mm. feel better, feel good. We lost, we won. But I think in the end, they won. Indeed, indeed they did. And, uh, well, 
only for Shane Ross, it would have, it would be a, a totally positive story. But there you go. Listen, Great. Johnny, yeah. thanks a million for coming in, and uh, hooray for the hockey girls. We're going to cross now to Berlin, where Ian O'Reardon is uh, currently in the centre of the city watching people walk funny. Isn't that right, Ian? Yeah, Malik, with typical German efficiency, a couple of my enthusiasm would just come from the Olympic Stadium, where the main track and field events are, to the centre of Berlin, where the race walks have been going on since about half eight this morning. We should explain, Ian, of course, that you're at the European Athletics Championships. European Athletics Championships here in Berlin. They got on the way last night with a few preliminary heats, but first day proper today... And the 50-kilometre walk um, is on as we speak. Uh, it, 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 it must be 35 degrees, and I'm standing in the shade. So it's certainly a roasting day. Brendan Boyce, our, you know, quite experienced walker. He's been, he's been around the block a few times. He put himself in a great position. He was kind of hanging on the back of a group about five or six for the first half of the race. Got tailed off slightly, and then he's, sort of, he's kind of hanging on seven to eight now with about 10 kilometres to go. But... Part of the point, he's out on his feet. He's, he's literally he's literally hanging in there. So I'd say if he finishes in the top ten, he'll be happy. Um, I would say that's that's uh, the, the, those fifty k walks are attritional at the best of times. I'd say in that heat, it must be cruel. Yeah, it is. Look, I mean, you use words like grueling and punishing, but this is you know, <laughs> I always think about the walks. As long as you're willing and able, and it's probably put the emphasis on the willing part. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's, it's that's, that's that's what the event is all about. Um, but no, it's, it's, an, it's a nice setting here. We're right down by the zoo gardens and the, by the Berlin Zoo, and there's good crowds in the street, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's not much fun for the walkers. But earlier on in the stadium, there was three Irish athletes in action this morning. Um, three of our kind of younger athletes coming through. We had Chris O'Connell in the, Chris, sorry, Chris O'Donnell in the 400 metres. He finished sixth. Then we had Sheaford Butler in the 800 metres. She finished sixth as well. And Claire Moody finished seventh. Now, none of those athletes went through, but they're very much part of the... Um, younger developing athletes that we're kind of talking about the last few weeks the young athletes who are here for the experience Chris O'Donnell is just 20 and um, he ran a season's best um, so you know he's, 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 that's, he's all about the experience but in terms of the, uh, the headline acts they're coming up tonight with yeah. Thomas Barr in his 40 meter hurdle semi-final and Phil Healy Done in the semi-final as well. She qualified last night in the hundred meter. So yeah, we'll um, talk about them in, in a second. The, 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 what you're talking about there, though, the the younger athletes getting experience. That's that's a, a very much a, a sort of a theme of the week because we have we have sent a fairly big team. Yeah, forty-two athletes, and I'd say I mean the average age. The average age is probably around twenty-four. If it wasn't for the the, the women's marathon, the marathon women, no disrespect, but they they, oh, they take it up a bit, yeah. <laughs> because that's just the nature of the event, and and women women's marathoners we know get get better sometimes into their late thirties, especially after motherhood. But look, that's a whole other debate. They're certainly it's a very young team, and I think this was this was the opportunity whereby we're kind of that mid Olympic cycle. Two years, po- two, two years post Rio, two years ahead of Tokyo. Where this, this is where you get the, got to, you got to give the young athletes a chance, and and I, I think that's a, I think that's a, a fair enough idea. And I, don't, I, I certainly think the three athletes this morning, certainly Chris Donald ran very well. I think in his 400 meter heat, Schiefer Butler will be a bit disappointed. She's had a long year. Um, I mean, saw Jean Apke Moses last night in the 100 meters uh, heat. Now she just missed out in the semi-finals by by, by a split second, but again. She's out in the relay later in the week, and she's she's definitely here with with a view to with a view to Tokyo. And I think from that point of view, it, you know, it's a proper big championship inside an Olympic stadium, and you, you can't you can't buy that kind of experience. And you know, you can talk about funding and facilities and all the kind of stuff, but that's the kind of experience which I think is, is, is priceless, really, especially in the sport. You know, how competitive will the relay team be later on in the week? Yeah, good question, Gavin. I think they they'll definitely want to make the final. This is the women's four by one. Um, they they they're they're, they're, they're certainly capable of it. Like that'll be Phil Healy as well, who's kind of will be mm-hmm. on that team. 
Um, and then as we saw with the under-20s, once you make the final, I mean, don't forget the, the Americans famously dropped the baton in that event that the Jamaicans messed up the exchange. But no, you don't want to be relying on that. I think, I think it's, a, I think it's a, fair, a fair ambition to make the final and then, and then see where they're going. But again, that's a team which is which the average age between Gene Atkin Moses, Kieran Neville's only 19 as well. So you talk about two teenagers on a team which, which hopefully two, four years down the road will be, will be, will be, will be proper medal contenders, yeah. So let's get into the, the couple of medal hubs we have for the week. As you say, Thomas Barr out tonight, like he's the sort of the team leader really this week, isn't he? And uh, he has a buy into the semi-final, which I guess is, there's a huge upside to that, obviously, but there's a downside to it too. You know, he's got to, got to perform straight off the bat. Yeah, he said that himself, actually. He said that himself, that the pros and cons to this, like, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes in a race like a 40-meter hurdles, it's, a, it's all about rhythm and getting that tempo going, and sometimes the first round doesn't do you any harm, but he gets a buy into the semifinals, but at least now he knows exactly what he's got to do. He's drawn against Capello. This is a Turkish guy uh, who finished, finished um, ahead of him in the Olympics, actually, in Rio, so he's, you'll know him well. But after that, Jack Green from Great Britain. So, he, look, he should qualify, but the, the, the crucial thing for him is Getting a, getting a good time so he gets a good lane draw. I think he's in lane five tonight, but you want to be in those middle lanes. You want to be, you basically want to be three, four, five, six at the worst, because I don't think anybody's won a major championship 400 meter hurdle race from lane one or two, certainly not lane eight. So he's got a, that, that's on his mind tonight as much as, as much as qualifying, which he will do. But don't forget, this is an event with 10 hurdles, three foot high, a lot can go wrong, and it often does. So nothing taken nothing for granted here but I, I suspect Thomas Barr will definitely get through to the final which will be on then on Thursday Thursday evening and what what would you say his ceiling is in that final yeah I mean look I spoke to him last week and he knows exactly he knows exactly what he's got to do I mean he's ranked I think he's ranked fourth or fifth fastest but he made the point you go back to Rio two years ago when he ran a 47-9 mm. which would, you know, would, have, would have won him a medal I think in four of the five previous Olympics and he kind of thought oh yeah my time will come sooner rather than later but that doesn't always work that way. These chances don't come around very often, and, and he really senses this is his chance because he's got he's, he's, he's very fit. He's got an injury three built up. He's um you know he's, he's and he knows exactly what he's got to beat. And and the, and the second part then is that the event has actually moved on since Rio. He's got this guy uh, Kristen Walholm, the Norwegian guy, still only twenty two, has come out and run run like three or four sub forty eight seconds. So like he's he's not a gold medal favorite, world champion. So so it's almost like he's got a. He's got to redouble his efforts to get back to where he was maybe maybe two years ago. But I know Thomas a while now. Like he and he put you know he comes across as this laid back, smiley, chirpy kind of guy. But he is super competitive. Like I mean, this it's one of the great contradictions of sport. Like he's so he's got that kind of. They used to call him Bambi when he was young. Cause he was like he was so innocent and you know, as if he didn't care. But put him on the track and. I think if he makes that final, I, 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 yeah, I'd, I'd have money on him, certainly to be, in, you know, to be in contention for a medal, which is what it's all about. What are you looking forward to, Irish competitors aside, what are you looking forward to, what race are you going to be tuned into yeah. the most? Well, should look, just walking back into the Olympic Stadium this morning, I mean, it's just a phenomenal, it's a fantastic setting. I mean, Berlin, I mean, it's... This is Hitler it's Stadium from the, thir- from 30, yeah, the Olympics, you know, yeah. Je- Jesse Owens' name is still engraved on the, on the old marble steps, and it's, it's, it's like it breeds history. And this is where, of course... Usain Bolt ran as 1919 for 200 mm. meters uh, back in nine, back in 2009, a record which may never be broken. And um, it's a fantastic setting. So I just hope that a few athletes will raise their game. You know, we're kind of talking about people who be kind of we're kind of expecting things, but you know, there's always potential maybe for one or two one or two outsiders. Um, I'm not sure if that team has that has that someone who might just come out of the blue and do something extraordinary. Um, if you look at if you look down through the down through the events, like we know we don't really have the kind of the uh, Say like a Durval O'Rourke or David Gillick with the experience to um to to you know to sort of pull something out of out of nowhere more or less. But no, I think 
to answer your question, I just hope there might be one or two athletes who will just raise their game and maybe maybe break an Irish record. One guy I'm looking forward to seeing is this Leon Reid, who's a look, he's a British sprinter. He, he ran juniors under 23 for Great Britain, but he just declared for Ireland literally in the last number of days. Now he's been he's been eligible to run for Ireland for the last three or four years, but there was a, a freeze put on that transfer. So he's running the 200 meters. He won a medal for Northern Ireland in the Commonwealth Games back in back in April. So. Again, definitely a, definitely a potential um, uh, finalist. And, uh, you know, he's now eligible to run an Irish record. So it'll be interesting to see, can he break Paul Hessian's record of 20.30, which has been sitting there since about 2007. The other interesting person to talk about, of course, Ian, is, is Kira McGeehan, uh, somebody that we would have come across uh, quite a bit uh, over the years, a serial sort of winner of the Sportswoman of the Month, and, and somebody we, we got got to know reasonably well, very intelligent girl, very... Very um, impressive person to talk to. Um, but I find sometimes I, I go into these championships uh, looking out for Kira and seeing how she's going to go on. And I don't know, there's just been so many disappointments over the years with her. Obviously, she's come back from injury quite a bit. Um, this is a big championship for her, isn't it? Yeah, fair question, Malik. I think and she knows that herself. She knows that like she hasn't she hasn't delivered on, on, on the potential that, that she has offered us, let's say, going back to going back to 09 when she first came on the scene she is a defending bronze medalist when I say mm. defending she won a bronze medal here two years ago that was, that was during, an Olymp- during Olympic years it was kind of a slightly, a slightly um, scaled back European championships the event actually is it's kind of wide open a little bit because the defending champion uh, Stefan Hassan from, from, from Holland is actually running 5,000 metres there, there, there was another Ethiopian who was running for Sweden who was also opted for the 5,000 metres but she may not run because she's currently on the uh, the watch list are missing, missing, missing three drug tests. So we'll see what happens there. So actually, on paper, the women's 1500 meters is actually wide open in terms of like who could actually win it. Now, I think I think Kira is ranked about six or seven, so there's nothing for certain there. But if you were looking at that field, you'd actually say, well, it's definitely wide open. But has she got the, the self belief? Has she got the confidence? Has she got the, the sort of the um, you know has she got the, the, the head? I suppose to deliver on that. I mean, she's run. 202, she's run 404. They're, they're world-class times, absolutely world-class times. There's nothing wrong with her form. She's had an injury-free season. She's a new coach. So, yeah, she yeah, made I changes mean, in the background, Ian, didn't she? Yeah, you know, she left Jerry Kierden. She's now working working with a guy in um, Steve Vernon in, in, in Manchester. So I suppose my point is there'll be, no, there'll be no excuses. There'll be absolutely no excuses. She can't turn around and say, well, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, it, 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 it's kind of a case of now or never. And I think if you look, if I was looking at that field, I'd be like, wow, this is, it's almost like the, the stars have aligned in some way to say, look, this is your chance. But we'll see. That's, she's, got to get through the, she's got to get through her heat too. And there's no guarantee there because sometimes, as you say, if, if you're not there, if the head's not in the right place, the last 100 metres, then it's, uh, it's curtains. But her, she's running later in the week, her final's on next Sunday. So that hopefully we'll have something to look forward to on the last day. You know, you haven't convinced us that we're going to add to the 23 medals we've won in these championships, though. <laughs> 23, I think it's only 14, isn't it? I'm oh, sorry, yeah, over 23 <laughs> editions, 14 medals. And that's Sonia and Dervil have won most of them, yeah. Sonia has five, Dervil has two, and then you're talking like Ronnie Delaney, Eamon Coxon, you know, Rob Herfram. Like they don't, they're, they're, not, they're not easily won. They're definitely not easily won. But, but no, I think, I think that's to go back to about Thomas Barr. Like this, this, this is definitely his time. This is his chance. And I mean, if he wants to prove himself to be a world-class athlete on the stage, and he said himself during the week in a kind of a joking way, he's like, show me the medals. He doesn't actually have any medals. Like, so when, when's the chance is going to come? It's either going to be here or it's going to be Tokyo or it's going to be a world championship. And I know, I know which chance I'd rather take. 
Ian, thanks a million. We uh, we had you on there. We had Sean in earlier. Johnny talking about the hockey. Thanks to everybody who did that. Uh, Gav, thank you for filling in again. No problem. And thanks to Jenny and JJ behind the desk. Take it easy, Ian, and enjoy Berlin. And we'll see everybody again next week. All the best.